0: Thank you for those readings. It's uh, great to, again, it's great to be with you. It would be also excellent if you kept those Bibles open uh, at that page, Romans chapter 5, and there's a short outline in the uh, handouts that you've given as you came in the door. I'm going to pray again and ask God to help us to understand the Bible. So let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Bible. Uh, We thank you that it is your word to us. We ask now that uh, by the Holy Spirit... You would give us understanding of it. We pray that we'll be encouraged and challenged by it. And we ask, Father, that you might move it swiftly from our heads and to our hearts. And may you work in us what is pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Mary is a young man, intelligent enough to want to marry one of my beautiful daughters, he will need to be smart enough to ask me first, and he will not know what my answer will be. He will not know what I will say or do in response. So, he should be scared. Very very scared. And if he is confident enough to walk up to my door and not be scared, he will be when I answer the door with a blunt machete. (laughs) Why blunt, you may ask. (laughs) Use your imagination. When we all come before God one day, and we all will, What what will God say to or do with you? And can we know what God will say or do? And if so, how can we know what God will say or do? And more specifically, can we know that God will not pour out his just wrath on us, Because we are certainly deserving of it as guilty sinners. How do we know? Answer. Romans chapter 5. Come to it with me to verse 1 of Romans 5 in your Bibles there. And the first word of verse 1 is therefore, which means that what he's about to say depends on what he has said before, what results from before. And what he has said before in this case is that next phrase, since, therefore since we have been declared righteous by faith. Now, that statement, declared righteous by faith, is kind of a summary of the first four chapters of this book of Romans. Now, I know that in this church, you've been uh, going through those first four chapters. Just in case you haven't been there, let me just very, very briefly summarise it for you. You won't say everything about it, but let me just uh, give you a very brief summary. What it says in these chapters is that all people, all people, which means you and I as well, have sinned. That is, all people have turned away from God. It actually says there is no one who is righteous before God. That means all people have lived in ways that fall short of God. What that means is therefore that no one is right with God because no one is righteous before him. Now, what we're also told is that, therefore, all people come under the wrath of God. Wrath is kind of an old word for anger. But in the Bible, when it talks of the wrath or the anger of God, it's talking about God's just punishment on sins. Now, God is utterly righteous, utterly, utterly righteous. And so he must, if he is righteous, punish wrongdoing. He must punish sin. And that means we are all in massive eternal trouble because not only have we all sinned, but God has said that the punishment for sin is death. Eternal death. But we are also told in the preceding chapters that Jesus died. And when Jesus died... His death, death paid the penalty of death for our sins so that we can be right before God. We can be justified. Now, Justified is a Bible word for declared right before God. Because of Jesus' death on our behalf, we can be justified. And not because we are righteous, but because our sins have been paid for by Jesus on our behalf, for us. And this justification, again, declared right, that's what it means, declared right before God, does not come about through anything we do, but through what Jesus has done for us. It is received by us or embraced by us, Through faith in Jesus. So we are justified by faith in Jesus. That's the beginning four chapters, the previous four chapters, which brings us to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, what results from being justified or declared righteous by faith since we have been through Jesus? What it goes on is to to talk about the benefits of being right, right with God. And there are three that you'll see in your outline, peace, hope, and assurance. They're not all of them, but they're the ones that this passage mentions. So we'll talk about those tonight. Number one, peace. Uh, Look with me again at verse one. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace here means not at war. It doesn't mean, you know, inner tranquility or something like that. No, it means no longer enemies with God, which means that before we were enemies with God. Why? Because sin made us enemies with God. It says that down in verse 10 that we read before. And sin, therefore, means being not at peace with God, means that there is no relationship that we have with a sinless, holy God. But now we have peace through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus has removed the debt of death that we owe for our sins by paying it for us in his sacrificial death on the cross. He therefore removes that which put us at odds with God. And uh, Jesus redirects God's just wrath from us onto Jesus. And so there is peace between us and God. But more than that, the concept of peace in the Bible is not just the absence of hostility, but it is the presence of good relationships. So, you can not fight with someone and be at peace in that sense, but still not have a good relationship. You can have no relationship at all with them and still be at peace. You just ignore each other. But the Bible's concept of peace goes much further. It is not hostility, but about, not just hostility, but about being in relationship, good and right relationship with God. And this happens with God through Jesus, when we are justified, when we are declared right with God, there is peace. And so we continue in verse 2 then. Look at verse 2. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That is, we have obtained access to God, relationship with God, through him, That is Jesus, by faith in Jesus, into this grace. This referring back to the peace with God through Jesus. And it describes peace here now, and everything that comes with peace. So we're justified, we're forgiven, heaven, and all that sort of stuff. It describes peace in verse 2 as this grace. Now, you've also seen that word grace in the previous chapters. Grace means gift. It's a Bible word for gift. It's something that is undeserved, unmerited, unearned. Once you earn something or deserve something, it no longer becomes a gift. It's a a wage or a reward. But no, this is a gift of God. It's his grace. So this state of peace that we have with God is entirely his gift to us through Jesus so being justified being declared right with God means we have peace with God good relationship with God how wonderful will it be to knock on the door of heaven and not be at war with God but to be at peace with him that's the first wonderful thing about being justified by faith that this passage mentions. The second thing is hope. Look at me again at verse 2. It says at the end of verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, Now, this hope of the glory or in the glory of God, broadly, I think, means he's talking about heaven. Heaven. Because it is in heaven where God will be fully revealed in all his glory. And this is what the Christians look forward to, isn't it? This is what we long for, to see God. To see him in all his glory. This is our hope. And because of Jesus, we have it. And as it says there in verse 2, that's got to be reason to rejoice. Now, having hope, having this um, great hope of heaven, great, this great hope of the glory of God, means that we can also rejoice in sufferings. And you know why? Because sufferings will lead to stronger hope. Look at me at verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions or sufferings, same word, because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, just to be sure, uh, this isn't saying that we rejoice in the affliction itself, or in the afflictions themselves, but we rejoice in what they produce. Now, let me just explain how that works. Um, Afflictions or sufferings produce endurance, don't they? Because there's nothing to endure if if you don't have sufferings or afflictions. And enduring here in the Bible, when it talks about enduring, it means continuing to trust in Jesus, in affliction, in suffering. That's what endurance is in the Bible. And then it tells us here that when you uh, endure, that produces proven character. Now again, whenever the Bible talks about proven character, it talks about the testedness or the provenness. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I've, it is now. Or the provenness of faith. That's what proven character He's talking about in the bible and of course what is tested what is proved is only made stronger because it's been tested because it's been proved it's kind of like muscles the way you grow them the make you the way you make you, them stronger. you to test them and to prove them and so the more we trust god the more we will trust god in what he promises, and what he promises about what is ahead of us, our hope. And hope is a good thing, isn't it? Because knowing that the glory of God awaits, isn't that what helps us get through suffering and affliction? And then the loop starts again. And so we rejoice, not necessarily in the suffering itself, but in what it produces in faith and hope. Now, it's also important to say here that hope here is not talking about wishful thinking for the future. Like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I just washed my car. It might rain, it might not. It's wishful thinking. That's not the Bible's concept of hope. The Bible speaks of hope in that, yes, it is in the future, but in the Bible, hope is always secure, Hope is always certain. It is always assured. And it is assured because, yes, God promises it, and you can always believe his word, but it's also assured in this passage because of verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. This hope will not disappoint us. It will not disappoint us because it will happen. Hope is only disappointed, isn't it, if it does not happen. But the Christian hope, as I said, is secure. And so it won't disappoint. Why is this hope secure? And why won't it disappoint? Well, again, verse 5. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit... Who was given to us? And this brings me to point three, assurance. uh, On your outlines. In verse five, we're told here that the love of God, that is God's love for us, is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that means there is this inward awareness, this Heartfelt reality of his love, which is enabled by the Holy Spirit, who fire hoses it, pours it into our hearts. And it's not mushy, fanciful sentimentality. It is a real experience that is made manifest in us. Now, what does that look like? Well, it may be a deep sense of appreciation for God's love. It may be a warm encouragement that God loves us. It may be experienced as joy or, or humbling gratefulness. It may be just knowing that you get it, that God loves you and that it means something to you. And this experience of God's love in our hearts is not romantic fantasy, but it is based on the objective truth of God's love for us. And what exactly is that? Look with me at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, helpless there means helpless to save ourselves. Well, what does Christ dying For the ungodly, that's us and everybody, have to do with God's love. Look with me at verse 7. Look at verse 7. For rarely rarely will anyone die for a just or righteous person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. Now here I'm not really sure what the distinction is between just and good But the point is very, very clear. Whether someone is just or whether someone is good, it's saying there might be the slightest possibility that someone might die for them if necessary is extremely rare, but it is possible. But. Look what God did. Look with me at verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now wait. Isn't that the same thing that makes us right with God? Jesus' death for us? Isn't that the same thing that justifies us? Well, yes, exactly. That which justifies also demonstrates God's love. It proves God's love as it says there. You know, if God was only righteous, if God was only just, he could have demonstrated that righteousness by giving us what we deserve for our sins, yeah? That would have demonstrated God's justice. But in giving us his son, it shows that God is also love. God demonstrated his righteousness by punishing sin. God demonstrated his love by sending his son to take that punishment for us. You see? In other words, Christ's justifying death for us was also a demonstration of God's amazing love for us. But get this, please. This was not when we were good. This was not when we were righteous. Far from it. It says there in verse 8, it was while we were still sinners. It was when we were not good. It was when we were not righteous that he loved us. Who does that? Who does that? We barely give our lives for someone who is good let alone someone who's a sinner. No one would do that, not in a million years. You wouldn't do that, nor would I. And what's more, get this, we wouldn't give our lives for someone like that. If we wouldn't give our lives, sorry, for someone like that, what chance is there that you would give your child's life for someone like that? But God, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ, his son, died for us. Do you get that? You know, I really, I really like Phil, your senior minister. I find him a little soft. He had a sniffle, so he didn't come to church this morning. <laughs> I see he's here now. But. but apart from that, I really like him. I think Phil's a really, really good guy. He's a great guy. He's my favourite senior minister today. <laughs> <laughs> and so I could... Uh, I could, in my wildest imagination, envisage the minutest, minutest possibility that I might, 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 might maybe give my life for him. I probably would not. (laughs) It is highly unlikely, but there is a very, very, very remote possibility but I would never give one of my children to him. Nor would any of you for anyone. God's love God's love is beyond dying for a good person. It even goes beyond dying for a sinner. God's love is giving His Son for you and me, sinners. Who loves you like that? The very same blood that justifies us proves God's love for us. Does that mean something to you? Does that fill you with awe? Deep, deep appreciation. Humbling gratitude. That's the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into your heart. and that's how we can be sure it's not the only way but it's the way it's talking about here you know God loves you in Jesus if someone loves you that much and in that way well you can be sure he'll save you Yeah. and this brings me to the last reason that we can have assurance. And it's the how much more argument in the Bible. Look with me at verse 9, please. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. Now, these three words, much more than or how much more, same thing, should be like a warm blanket around our hearts. It's, it's, the, how the argument works like this. If God has already done the hard thing, then of course he's going to do the easy thing. If God has already done the hard thing, justifying us and loving us through the death of his son, that's what blood refers to there, then of course he will do the easy thing which is to save us and to save us from his punishment, which is already meted out on his son. The hard part was punishing Jesus. The easy part is not punishing us and saving us from it. And because he has saved us from it, he will save us from it. Huh? I hear you ask. How can we be saved from it now and be saved from it in the future? Well, Jesus has already died, yes. And through faith in him, we have been declared righteous now. Yes, we are saved now. But the Bible also talks about this salvation being completed, if you like, at the day of judgment when God says to you, you, no punishment, come in. That's the easy part, for God. So you can be assured of God's response when you see him. Or put another way, verse 10. Look at that, verse 10. For if, while we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved By his life. Now, reconcile here means to bring two parties who were at war together in peace. And that brings us back to verse 1, doesn't it? Where we have peace with God. And we are reconciled to God, again, as it says there, through Jesus' death for our sins. Even though at the time, we were his enemies. That was the hard part. How much more then, now that we are reconciled friends with God, will he save us? Of course he will. If Jesus died for his enemies to bring them to God, of course he will welcome them as his friends. That's the easy part. And Jesus will because he has risen to life. Surely if Jesus can save in his death, he will save in life, in his life. So if you've been justified by faith, declared right with God, through Jesus, you can see you can have full assurance of the hope you have. You're at peace. God loves you. He gave his son for you. He has reconciled you. He has done the hard stuff. Of course, he'll do the easy part and save us. Rest assured. I wonder if you have that assurance. Do you have that assurance? I wonder if you have put your faith In Jesus. Because, you know, that's the only way to have that assurance. If you don't have that assurance, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, may I say to you, why don't you just do that tonight? What's holding you back? There's no time like the present. Why don't you put your trust in Jesus tonight? And if you'd like to do that, please, please, I beg you, talk to one of the team here tonight, straight after the service. I would love to talk to you about that. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, how should we respond? How we should respond is this. Party on. Let's get the party started. That's what the Bible tells us to do, doesn't it? Look with me at verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, why we have now received this reconciliation through him. Now, party on is kind of a loose translation, of course, of rejoice, but that's the vibe, you know, that is the vibe. What does rejoice mean? It means a joyous, grateful, God-pointing celebration of what he has done for us so guys rejoice rejoice we have been declared right with god through jesus rejoice we have peace with god through jesus rejoice in the hope of the glory of god through jesus rejoicing god's love shown Through Jesus, rejoice that we are reconciled through Jesus. Rejoice we are and will be saved through Jesus. Rejoice in this grace, this gift. And rejoice that it's not what we do, nor could we ever... And that's because we could never do enough, but rejoice in what Jesus has done for us, (laughs) for you. And rejoice that when we knock on the door of heaven and stand before God with Jesus next to us, well, I tell you, you can be sure that you would be you will be met with no crazed machete wielding madman, but by a loving, excited father. He will say something along the lines of welcome. Come with me. You will not believe what you are about to see. Boy, have I got something to show you. So, rejoice. Amen.